Amen. I want you to take your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We started a series last week called Freedom. Freedom from Religion. And we talked last week about exposing the religious spirit. We're going to continue that tonight. We're going to tell you, I'm going to take the sword of the spirit and I'm going to cut the religious chains off you so you can run free. I'm going to do like Jesus said, do to Lazarus. Loose that man and let him go. And tonight we want to talk about blindness, religious blindness. We're going to talk about freedom from religious blindness. This is the, to me, this is one of the funnest passages in the Bible. It is a hoot. I don't know if you know what hoot means. It's just wonderful. And it's the most, I just love it. It's the most, one of the most offensive passages. It's one of the most, I mean, it's like getting hit in the face with a buzzard gut. It just, it just shock you when you see what's in here. But we're going to have a great time tonight in the scriptures. And we're going to talk about religious blindness. Quick question. We're going to read one verse and then go to the passage. Do you believe that Satan has the ability to blind the minds of people? All right, we're going to see what the Bible says. Let me tell you what he blinds people with. It's not pornography. It's not drug addiction. It is religion. He blinds people's minds with religion. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. Watch this verse. If the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. You know what veiled means, don't you? You can't see it. Like a veil's over your face. If the truth of God is hidden from you, uh, if you're like the, who was supposedly the world's most intelligent man that died last year, and he said, I have searched the universe over, there is no God anywhere. Well, just because you can't see him doesn't mean he's not there. But if God is hidden from you and the truth is hidden from you, what does the Bible say the reason is in verse four? The Bible said, whose minds the God of this age, and that is not Jesus, that's Satan, has blinded who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine in on them. If you can't see the beauty of God, it's because somebody has blinded you. And it is religious blindness that comes over our lives. I want you to look with me in John chapter 9. We're going to look at the passage about blindness. And this is a wonderful passage. There's a blind man in here. And I want you to be looking for the blind man in here. But it's a surprising passage. The question you've got to ask you is, which one's blind in here? And we're going to see the power of religious blindness in John chapter 9. This is one of the most hilarious passages in the Bible. But you know, when you just strip all the religious garbage off of it, religion would be pretty humorous if it weren't so sick. And in this passage, you're going to see how goofy religion can be. You're going to see the power. And when I say religious spirit, I'm talking about a demon spirit that causes people to become religious and blinds them to the reality of the beauty of Christ and his truth. And this is the great passage about it in John chapter nine, John chapter nine, verse one, Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind, physical blindness from birth. His disciples said to him, teacher, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Isn't that like a bunch of religious people? They want to find out who's at fault. Jesus answers and says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Can I get a witness that maybe your tragedies are not due to sin? We need to quit blaming everything. All righty. But that the works of God should be revealed in him. Watch the words of Jesus here. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day because night's coming when no man can work. Jesus Christ walked on this earth. You know what he came to do? To reveal the father. He came to work the works of him who sent me. John chapter one, verse nine says this. Nobody's ever seen God. Jesus came to reveal him. If you want to know what God's like, watch Jesus. And everything Jesus did, it, it was the work of God. He said, I've come to do the works of my father. All righty. As long as I'm in the world, verse five, I'm the light of the world. That's one of the four great statements Jesus made in the book of John. 
that makes John so different. Jesus, I want you to, I want you to read that with me again. Did Jesus say, I am a light in the world? This is the controversial part. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. You know how big that is? If that's true, that makes him everything revelation and goodness is. That makes him the only hope of humanity. That's the controversial part in there. Watch what happens. Verse six, when Jesus had said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud or clay with the saliva. He anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Does that bother you? Maybe you've read it before, but if you were to come up to me after service and say, Pastor, could you pray for me? I've got glaucoma. I'm fixing to go see a surgeon. And I were to spit in your eye, would that bother you? Jesus spit and he made, anointing means he packed them in the man's eyes. This is God right here. And you got to remember, <clears throat> the guy who's blind is blind. He can't see what Jesus is doing. So somebody gets him by the hand and you notice he didn't say a word, nothing. He didn't even ask to be healed. And he's standing, he can't see anything. All of a sudden he hears, <laughs> what's he doing? He can't see what's going on, but he felt it real quick. And all of a sudden this spit mud is packed into his eye. You said, that's, that's just, we're fixing to talk about it. And Jesus said to the man, watch what he said to him. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. There was a little pool there, a nice pool named Sol- called Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. All right, let me do the geography for you. Jesus is coming into the town. The pool of Siloam is on the backside of town. Jesus spits in the mud, makes mud clippers, puts them in this guy's eyes. He got mud packed in his eyes. You know, the muddy water's running down his face now. And Jesus said, walk through town with that on your face. Go wash it out in the pool of Siloam. Do you notice Jesus didn't say you will be healed? He just said to the man, you walk through town with mud on your face and go wash it out. This is one of the greatest acts of faith in the Bible. The man did what Jesus said without the promise of healing. Jesus never told him he'd heal him. All this guy knows that he's just sitting there. He's a beggar. Been there 30 some years. All of a sudden he hears some guy. He feels this mud packed in his eyes and he hears a voice say, walk through town and go wash that off. And he does it. What happens when he obeys God? God comes back seeing. And this is the great miracle of God. This is, this is just wonderful. And uh, we'll see the fun part of this in a second. All right, therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. What is wrong with these people? Been there 38 years. They live in a small town. You know who it is. Watch what he said. He said, I'm me. He said, I'm him. He said, I'm the guy that sat here and begged. Therefore they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay, stuck it in my eyes and said to me, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. I went and washed. I received my sight. All right, that ought to be the end of the story right there. But remember, this is a story about blindness. <clears throat> they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. This guy's telling the truth and the whole truth. Verse 13, they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. May I ask you why? God works a notable miracle. God does something great. Why do we need to go get a preacher's opinion? We got the same problem today. Every time something's going on, we want to know what Mr. Big Shot thinks. I thought they, ought to just, I thought they should have just celebrated. Why can't they just say, praise God, he can get a job now. No, we got to check with religious leaders and see what they think about what God's doing in the earth. All right, they bring him to the Pharisees, religious leaders. 
14, it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. All right, we've got a little history. You need to know this here. As we saw last week, they had a rule that you could do no labor on the Sabbath. Jesus was a healer. So if he healed, that was working and that broke their religious rule. That's why I put that in there because you need to know that. So he's broken their rule already. Verse 15, the Pharisees asked him again how he had received his sight. He said, he put clay in my eyes. I washed and I see. You want to see something funny? Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. Who's blind now? This, this is a story about blindness, but not the guy with the eye trouble. Can I ask you a personal question? I'm, surely you know enough about the Bible to know whether Jesus is from God or not. What did the ministers just say? They just pointed to God and said, this man is not from God. Who's having trouble seeing now? That is the power of a religious spirit to blind you to who God is and what he's doing in the earth. This is sort of goofy here. Because he does not keep the Sabbath. All right, others said, now watch this. Somebody said this in verse 16. How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? What I'm thinking, sort of like when Nicodemus came at night and said, you know, my crowd don't like you, but as far as I'm concerned, anybody can raise the dead ought to be listened to. How can you do this if God's not with you? Somebody's got some common sense, but it is not the preachers here. All right, and uh, there, there's, there's a division now. All right, verse 17. They said to the blind man again, do you think they didn't hear it the first time? This is another sign of religion. What do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. He should have stuck with the eye was blind and now I see. He said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind. <clears throat> a religious spirit will cause you to do the stupidest things instead of just believing what's plainly in front of you. So now guess what they're saying now? You weren't really blind. These were the ministers in the church in that town. It's a small town. This man had been sitting on the side of the road 38 years begging. And now they say, we don't think he was blind after all. So they called, received his sight. They called his parents who received his sight. Verse 19, they asked him saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? Good thing they didn't ask me. I'd have had the smart aleck come back. I'd have said, nope. Yep, he'd been seeing the whole time for 38 years. I've had him sit here every day just to screw you over today. I did this, it's just one big joke, guys. I'm, you're talking about dumb as a brick. All right, then they, they asked him, uh, said, how, how does he now see? Verse 20, his parents answered and said, we know this is our son. All right, that's pretty good. We know he was born blind. By what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes? We do not know. He is of age. He'll speak for himself. They said, well, we don't know how this happened. They did know how it happened. It shows you the power of a religious spirit to intimidate people. His parents said these things because they feared the ministers. They feared the religious leaders. They'd already agreed if anybody confessed that Jesus was God, he would be put out of the church. That's a sad day when you throw people out of the church for believing in God. Is this crazy or what? It gets even crazier here. All right. Therefore, his parents said he's of age, asked him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know this man is a sinner. How many of you would think it's sort of dangerous to call God a sinner? Are we blind here or what? I, I, this is just one of the craziest things. But this shows you the power of a religious spirit to goof you up. He answered and said, now you fix and see one of the greatest testimonies in the world. And if you ever give a testimony, this is what it needs to sound like. Verse 25. He answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, dear, we should know one thing. Though I was blind, now I see. 
We, we should be people who testify to people. We should testify about Jesus. You don't need to explain theology. You don't need to explain why aunt so-and-so died of cancer. You don't need to explain where the stars came from. This is your testimony. I used to be a drunk. Jesus touched me. Now I'm sober. I used to be miserable. God has given me life. My home was a wreck. God has made it wonderful. That's all you need to tell them right there. You don't need to explain theology. A testimony is let me tell you what God has done for me. And you know what he said? I can't answer your religious questions. I can't explain all this stuff. I just know this. The man has done something for me. And that needs to be your testimony. God has done something for me. Don't get bogged down with religious people. Just tell them, I once was lost. Now I'm found. Anything over that, you'll have to take up with your partners over there. So he gives a wonderful testimony. And uh, verse 26, you talk about goofballs. They said to him again, is this not the fourth time they have asked him how he sees? What did he do to you? How do you open your eyes? He said to him, I told you already and you didn't listen. Not only will religious spirit blind you, it'll make you deaf too, where you can't hear things. Why do you want to hear him again? Do you want to become his disciples? Uh-oh, we were doing so good. <laughs> he just got on the ground he shouldn't have got on right there. All right, he lights them up. They reviled him, which means they gnashed their teeth at him in hatred. And they said to him, you are his disciple. We are Moses' disciples. Can I ask you a personal question? Does anybody here know how many years Moses had been dead? <laughs> a little over 800. Boy, yeah, they're worse than Ronnie Millsap, aren't they? I mean, Ronnie's just stuck in the 50s. They're stuck back in 600 B.C., <laughs> 800 B.C. Uh, these goofballs. All righty. Uh, verse 29. We know God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we have no idea where he's from. Talking about Jesus. The man answered and said to them, this is a marvelous thing. You don't know where he's from. He has opened my eyes. The guy said, look, he said, he said, look right here, look right here. He healed these blind eyes. Don't that say something to you? I mean, should that not speak to you? Evidence of God. Verse 31. We know God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, nobody's healed blind eyes. He said, verse 33, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. I think that's pretty good preaching. Let me point something out. He's not even saved yet. He's not even a follower of Jesus. He don't even believe in Jesus till later in the story. That's pretty good preaching for a lost man, isn't it? And he preaches one of the greatest, simplest sermons that if this man weren't from God, he couldn't do anything. Oh, what a wonderful sermon. Watch, the, watch what the preachers say. Verse 34, they answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins. Are you teaching us? And they threw him out of the church. Pretty bad when you get thrown out of the church for letting God do something big in your life, isn't it? You'd be surprised how many people get thrown out of their churches when God does something great for them and they want to tell somebody about it. That's the power of a religious spirit. Verse 35, but the good news is, <laughs> I like this. Verse 35, Jesus heard they'd kicked him out. He went and found him. If the religious people throw you out, Jesus will look you up. You're in a whole lot better company there anyway. And he said to him, watch what he said in verse 35. Do you believe in the son of God? I told you he wasn't even saved yet. He didn't even believe in Jesus yet. And the man said, verse 36, he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? This guy has been healed by God. He has been through a religious uh, you know, acquittal. He has already preached one of the greatest sermons ever and he didn't even know who Jesus is yet. My goodness. So he decides he wants to know who he is. Verse 37, Jesus said to him, you have seen him. 
not blind anymore, is he? You've seen him and he's talking to you. Verse 38, he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Right, that's where he got saved. Because if you'll confess Jesus as your Lord and believe with your heart, you'll be saved. What's the first thing he did after he got saved? He believed in Jesus and he started worshiping him. That's always the first step after you start following Jesus. Religious people want to try to figure it out. People that know Jesus just want to worship him and praise him because of his goodness and his mercy in their lives. Things are going good so far here. <clears throat> All right, time for the two to have it out. All righty, look with me in verse 39. Jesus said, now here's, what, here's the summation. For judgment, I have come into this world. Why Jesus come into this world? To bring judgment into this world and healing. That those who do not see may see and those who see may be made blind. Jesus just didn't come, Jesus didn't come just to open blind eyes. Jesus came to shut people's eyes. Jesus came to cause people to see, but Jesus came to make people blind. As he said right here, some of the Pharisees who were there heard these words, they said to him, uh, it's hard to translate this out of the Greek. It was a smart aleck. So you think we're blind, huh? Are you saying we're blind? They were challenging him. And Jesus said simply to them, one of the greatest truths, Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you'd have no sin. If you would confess that you were blind, I'd help you. But since you say, we don't need God to help us, you can die in your sins. Who's blind here? <laughs> it's not the physical blindness, it's the heart blindness. It's the, it's the religious blindness. Can you see the power of a, of a religious spirit to blind? God Almighty standing right in front of you and you're calling him a sinner and can't see him. That's the power of religious blindness. Now, let me tell you something. We're, we're going to knock these Pharisees for a little bit. <clears throat> this has happened to me before. It'll happen to me tomorrow if I'm not careful. This is the most seductive spirit. It blinds people with a spirit of religion. All righty. A couple things we need to see. Number one, my heavenly father, the living God, purposely offends religious people. And you say, I can't imagine God doing anything to offend anybody on purpose. Really? Why did he heal so often on the Sabbath? You think he didn't know it was the Sabbath? You think he didn't know that? He purposely went into the church and healed people on the Sabbath just to offend them. All right, let me show you the three ways from this passage that God offends people. Number one, he offends them intellectually. He offends them intellectually. I've heard many people say, well, that can't be God. It's just stupid. It could very well be him. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says this, the things of the spirit are foolishness seem foolish to the natural thinking mind. All right, I just want to point something out to you in the scripture. You take a friend of Jesus, I don't know who brought this guy, and he's blind and he needs to be healed. That don't bother you that he would spit in the mud and put mud in your eyes and tell you to walk through town, everybody seeing that mud pack on your face? You don't, you don't think it's a little out of the ordinary? How many people do you know if I was to spit in their eye, they'd be offended? You know what I think's worse than getting mud put in your eye and him spitting? having to walk in front of all them people with that mud in your face. Our Heavenly Father is always going to do something in our lives to get rid of that pride that is killing us. The only reason this, do you know how humble this man had to be to do that? Do you know how he had to be at such a place in his life? I don't care what other people think. I just want God to help me. This man had to make a decision. <laughs> Here's the, and we'll have to make this decision. Do I want to look good in front of people? Or do I want to look period. And he made the decision, I would rather see than to look good in front of people. And God offended him. <laughs> it bothers me. I just can't, you know, the, the God, 
the God of our sophisticated churches. Can you see him spitting on somebody? Right there it is. You saw it in the Bible. He will offend your intellect. Let me go. This is one of my favorite sayings. Let me just throw it out here. And this is the whole Bible. He will offend your intellect to test your heart, to see if you will obey him so he can be good to you. That's the story of the Bible. He will offend your intellect to test your childlike heart to see if you will do what he says so he can be good to you. I'm all through the Bible. Can you not see God offending people? I come to him and I say, Father, I need money. I have money to pay my bills. He says to me, give some away. I said, no, 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 you misunderstand me. I didn't say I had a surplus. I said, I'm in the red dock. And he says to me, tithe. Bring your tithe into the storehouse. I will supply so much that you don't have room to keep it. That offends my intellect. That tests my faith to see if I will obey him so he can make my car payment. All through the Bible, you see God challenging human intellect to test the heart. Naaman said, I want to be healed. God said, go jump in the river seven times. He got offended. He said, well, you can be offended or you can get well. Which one do you want to do? <laughs> All through, I just love this. All through scripture. Number one, he offends religious people. <clears throat> intellect. Number two, God offends religious people by going against their tradition. He goes against their tradition. Jesus said in, uh, in Mark chapter six, Jesus visited his hometown. He said, I'm here to give you good news, heal the broken hearts, set the captives free, give sight to the blind, liberate the oppressed and bring the blessing of God on your life. And they said, we've known Jesus for 30 years. We've never known him to do that. Our Jesus doesn't do that. He could do no mighty work there. God begins to move in churches today and lives today and shows people things they've never seen. And they say, we've never seen God do that before. Therefore, he can never do it. He will break your tradition to be good to you. If you're a lover of tradition, and Jesus said again in Mark, in that book in Mark, Mark chapter six and seven, you made the word of God of no effect through your tradition. Our religious traditions get in the way of what God wants to do many times. And he'll offend your tradition to bring his word. The third place that he offends, he will offend your theology. They had a theology that uh, you, you can't, our, we've interpreted the Bible to say this, God walked right in and busted their theology all to pieces. See, I was, I was raised, my theology, and I was taught a certain theology. So we all think, you know, theology, people said that's the study of God. No, that's your opinion of him is what it is. It's how you think you've got him figured out. But I got news for you. He'll walk right into your house and say, you thought you knew me? Look here, dear. In my theology growing up, demons couldn't bother Christians. And that's what I was taught in when the religious school I went to, that demons couldn't bother Christians. I got them hanging on me like bats, but I don't believe they can bother me. Well, guess what he does? He'll just come in and bust your religious opinions. He will turn your theology upside down. You got to remember, they're rejecting God because of the way they read the Bible, not the truth. And they use the Bible. You want to hear something crazy? These are the same guys that used the Bible to kill God. That's why we need to be humble and flexible and what we think we know. So offend religious people. All right, let me give you the definition. I don't know if you know, a Pharisee is a religious spirit. All right, I'm gonna give you the definition of a Pharisee. I pray this don't offend Aunt Granny and her girdle or anybody else. But if you were to say, what is a Pharisee? Here's the simple biblical uh, definition of a Pharisee. A Pharisee is somebody who is excited about what God is doing yesterday. But they are blind to what God is doing today. Who did they say they were followers of? We are Moses' disciples. Now, can I ask you a question? Did God use Moses? 
Was Moses not the great work of God in 800 BC, 800 years earlier? And they're they're so excited about, we are Moses' disciples. If you'll read uh, Joshua chapter, well, we'll look it up, but Joshua chapter one is right after Moses has died. A new guy, God's gonna put a new guy in charge. His name is Joshua. That's why the book says Joshua. And he gathers together and he gathered them together. What's the first thing God said to him? In verse two, he said, Moses, my servant is dead. Do you think he needed to tell them that? They had just finished 40 days of mourning for Moses and God walked up and said, he's dead. He wasn't saying the man's heart has stopped being. He was saying that era is over. Yes, that was me. Did God work miracles through Moses? Some of the greatest ever worked, but you know what God said? I'm done there. Now, what's the next word? Moses is dead. Now, this is the man and this is where we're going. A Pharisee is somebody who is stuck way back yonder, worshiping what God did yesterday and is blind to what he's doing today. Got to go a little further here because a little more to the definition. He is blind to what he's doing today and he will fight God's work today in the name of what God did yesterday. Did they not fight Jesus in the name of Moses? Dear ones, if you don't change and get off of yesterday, you'll never see God work in your life. Let me show that to you in scripture. Let me turn with me to Luke chapter five. Luke chapter five. This is one of the hardest things for Christians to get hold of. I'm talking with a guy named Ken Helzer one day. We're sitting there visiting. We were getting older. We were real old now, but we were getting older a couple years ago. And he asked me, he said, what do you dread more than anything else now that we're getting old? And I said, well, you older than I am. And uh, I said, you know what? I don't want to happen to me. I said, I don't want to be yesterday's spirit-filled, Jesus-loving, cutting edge who is stuck there and can't see what God's doing tomorrow. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to become an old wineskin who is in the form of what God did yesterday and can't stand what he's doing today. What's the word? Change. That religious people love the word change. Most churches, they just say, let's just change something. Let's just, we just need to change more often. Not, I visited a church not long ago. I had to go do a funeral. I walked around there for a little bit and I thought, I just, I just said to my buddy, I said, 1965 ever rolls around again. They ready for it here. My goodness. <laughs> you just smelled 65 all over the place. I want you to look at what Jesus said and tell me what it means. Luke chapter five. Luke chapter five, verse 37. In Luke 5, 37, Jesus said this. He said, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Let me make an announcement. When God says no one, he means no one. The new wine is God's spirit working today. The old wineskin is the container. It can be my life. It can be my church. It can be my ministry. It can be my program. God's spirit is not gonna work in a ministry that's hard, a heart that's hard set. Nobody puts new wine in an old wine skin. If he did, the new wine would burst the wine skin, be spilled. The wine skin be ruined. If God poured his spirit out in a church, it's stuck in 1965, it'd blow the church all to pieces. It'd blow the person all to pieces. That's why the Bible says, verse 38, new wine must be put into new wine skins. What's the difference between old and new? I had old wine skin. Let me remind you of something. Every old wine skin was a new wine skin at one time. New wine skins are soft. It's a wine skin. It's a goat skin bag that holds wine and you put the wine in there and they're soft, but wine expands as it ferments, blows out. If the bag don't expand with it, if it's not soft and pliable and can change, 
change with what the wine's doing, it'll tear the bag up and you'll lose everything. Well, an old wine skin has become hard and it's set in the shape of the old wine. So if you fill it with wine and that wine starts changing things in the church or the life, it just tears it up. That's why he said you can't do it. New wine has to go into a what? A soft, pliable heart or church or home that says we will change to accommodate whatever the Spirit's doing. We'll flex. We'll do what we got to do. And here's the problem with Pharisees. It's in the next verse. No one having drunk old wine immediately desires the new because he says the old hymns are better. The old way we took the offering is better. The old way you used to preach is better. Dear ones, what is the problem here? People that live, it is the hardest thing you'll ever do. If your church is over 10 years old, you got a problem, NASA. And you're going to have, you say, well, what can you do? What can you do? It's so simple. You can take an old wine skin. You can, you can immerse it in water and the water will soften it to where it'll be pliable again. You can take a life or a church or a ministry. And if you'll wash them in the water of the word, it'll become soft enough. But listen, any church, ministry, life, family, home, heart, denomination, school, whatever, that will not change and flex to accommodate what the wine, the spirit is doing. Nobody's going to put new wine in an old wineskin. That's why God could do nothing with the Pharisees because they were so stuck on what went on yesterday. So listen, it doesn't matter whether it's a Pharisee on the day of Jesus, a denomination today, a preacher today, a church today, a heart today. <clears throat> if you are hung up on the way God did it yesterday, you will fight what he's doing today in the name of what he did yesterday. I used to ask myself, dear Jesus, how come so many of these denominations that were doing so good are dying so fast now? Here's your answer right here. Why are so many of these great big churches that were built that were full of people that were excited and worshiping and praising God? Why is it just a little handful of gray-haired folks sitting down front now? Here's your answer right here. Then when Jesus is ready to go on. My father is working. He's always working. But if God quits working somewhere, it's because you swapped over and became a Pharisee instead of a new wineskin. Now, I heard that. I heard that out there in the camera somewhere. Somebody said, did he just call me a Pharisee, Louise? You'd be surprised how easy this can get on us. I'm going to show you how to prevent it in just a second. That's the definition of a Pharisee. Let me tell you something. My heavenly father, his character never changes. The word never changes. His methods change every day. That's what the Bible means when it says in John 3, 8, the wind blows where he wishes, not where the denomination wishes he would, not where he blew yesterday. He blows where he wishes. Now, let me ask you a question. The wind's blowing sort of hard out tonight. I just came in a little bit ago. I can tell you which way the wind's blowing right now. It's blowing east to west right now. Do you think I can tell you where it's going to be blowing tomorrow? He'll change by tomorrow. The Spirit of God, I can tell you what he's doing right now. He won't be doing that tomorrow. And I got to go with what he's doing. God is not going to adapt to me. I've got to adapt to him. The person who says God has to adapt to me, that's a religious spirit. The new wineskin says, I'll change to suit him, whatever he's doing. All right, in the, let's go back to John chapter 10 here. John chapter nine, John chapter somewhere. Find John, the whole book's good. All right, five signs of a religious spirit at work, whether it's in your life, in your church, in your organization, five signs of a religious spirit at work we draw from John chapter nine. Number one, skepticism. It's always skeptical. Always hard to get them to believe something. Uh, you know, doc, let me tell you something. 
I watched that man blind for 38 years. I probably threw him some money. All of a sudden, I can see that he is seeing. I can see that he can see. And I'm doubtful that he can see. You dumb as a brick, doc. I mean, (laughs) this religious spirit will cause you to doubt things you can plainly see. It'll make you a skeptic. It'll make you a smart aleck. Now, there's nothing wrong with testing everything and holding fast to what is good. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.19. But there's a big difference between testing something and saying, we've never done it like that before and we ain't never doing it like that again. That's a skeptical attitude. Number two, they're control freaks. Religious spirit makes people a control freak. Can I just ask you a personal question about John chapter nine? Was it their business? Why did they have to pass an opinion? I mean, the guy was blind. Jesus made him see. Why'd you go see the preacher to start with? They had, they had to be the ones to control the situation and control the environment. So we like to keep watch over our flock. You're a control freak is what you are. And a religious spirit wants to have everything under its control. I got news for you. You cannot control the spirit of God when he takes off. When people say, well, things are getting out of control. Well, praise God, they're getting out of your control. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? <clears throat> so I remember being in school, being taught how not to be a preacher when I was in school. And I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. The, uh, he was a, a, a uh, what do you call it? Adjunct professor. He was the pastor of the First Baptist Church in the Lodge Town. And he came to teach us and he said, it's very important that our services be dignified and orderly. Orderly. And I thought, now you got to remember I'm young back then and I was a smart aleck then, unlike now. And I'd said to him, I just read in the book of Acts that the greatest move of God in world history at Pentecost where people thought they were drunk. Now, can I ask you a question? They, they were watching this church service and they all said they are drunk. Why would you watch a church service <laughs> and think they were all drunk? What do you reckon was going on in there? Can I ask you a personal question? Has anybody ever looked into your church service and said they're all drunk? Embalmed, maybe. (laughs) They said they're all drunk. They came piling out the door and folks said, well, they're drunk. Simon said, it's nine o'clock in the morning. So I don't care. They're still drunk. What were they doing that they were acting so drunk? I, I don't know. I wasn't there. I just knew it said they were acting drunk, but they were happy. They were excited. They were hollering. There was no reverence and order in that thing. God was in charge. But uh, you'd be surprised at these control freaks that everything's got to be just like we want it to be. There's nothing wrong with doing things well. There's something wrong with, I am in control. Let me tell you something. Let the Holy Spirit come and take control. We sing that years ago. And send a great revival in my soul. God's not going to do anything to you. Let the Holy Spirit take control. Now, let me, I do need to throw in a disclaimer. Some of the goofiness we see today is flesh. Between me and you, dear ones, I'd rather have a little wildfire than to have no fire. Just thought I'd throw that in for free. All righty, control freaks. Number three, intimidation. They intimidate people with fear. This man's parents, if that had been my son and he'd been blind 38 years and that man had healed him, I'd told them preachers to stick it in their ear. Kick me out of your church if you want to. I'm not going to deny the Jesus that just healed my son to keep a bunch of smart, uh, smart aleck preachers happy. It's not going to happen. Yeah, I about did. <laughs> to keep a bunch of preachers happy. That's not going to happen. I've had people, God's blessed me with gifts through the years. And I used to be in an organization, a denomination, and they would say, we don't allow you to use them. You can't use them. Or you can't even have them. We don't believe in them. And I thought, am I going to deny the Jesus who has blessed me or the people trying to control me? And when they, what did they say? We will kick you out of our crowd if you don't bow down 
You know what the deal is? Don't let the door hit me on the way out. Because as we found here, when the, when the religious people throw you out, Jesus will look you up every time. Let, let them, listen, we don't need to be driven by fear over anything. I'd love to have some fun there, but we got to move on up the highway. Number four, an unteachable spirit. A man just had a notable miracle and he said, God did this for me. And listen to what they said. You think you're going to teach us? Are you teaching us? That spirit of arrogance and pride and can't nobody tell me anything. Or a spirit that says this, I'll only learn it if it comes from an organized uh, program. I'll only hear it from Dr. So-and-so. Let me tell you something. God told me one time, he said, you just went down to Texas, that conference and got blessed. He said, I'd have, I'd have let your wife tell you across the table for free what you just paid $1,200 to go here. <laughs> Till you humble your heart and you'll let God teach you from anybody, that's a religious spirit. Matter of fact, in the book of Acts chapter four, Peter preaches the greatest sermon ever preached. He's telling them about the goodness of God. And they said, these are ignorant, uneducated men. And they were offended that somebody with no seminary degree would teach them. That's a religious spirit. God will purpose, he'll speak to you through a donkey if you'll listen. Call my friend Balaam. But that unteachable religious spirit, nobody gonna tell me anything. And let me throw one more in here, tribal. They're tribal and they're partial. It's, it's our crowd and it's their crowd. And let me tell you something, this thing about dividing the body of Christ up into groups is ungodly. 1 Corinthians chapter one says this. You, some of you say you're a Peter. Some of you say you follow Paul. Some of you say you follow Apollos. He said, is Christ divided? He said, when you are divided into groups like that, are you not acting like carnal men instead of spiritual men? Let me tell you something. There is one body. There is one Lord and he's the head of it. Now there's nothing wrong with being organized for missions and stuff like that. But when a Baptist won't have anything to do with a Methodist who won't have anything to do with them weirdo Pentecostals, that is ungodly. I got, let me tell you about your labels. Pentecostal, Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, stomp down by the gas station, whatever you got. Let me tell you about your labels. When it's all said and done, if you go up, they're going to blow off. If you go down, they're going to burn off. God don't give a rip about your labels. He didn't invent that stuff. He invented one body with one Lord and one Savior. And you either in the family of God or you ain't. Or you, excuse me, you are not. You one side or the other like that. But a religious spirit wants to divide everybody up into these tribes and separate the body of God. All righty, that's religious spirit at work. Now let me show you the power of religious. Let's show me how powerful this is. The power of religious blindness. <clears throat> I, this just stuns me. I mean, I'm not stunned by much, but I, I knew this guy. I've watched him for years and he's standing there looking at me and I still don't believe God's in this. You will be blinded to what God is doing in the earth. And you want to go even crazier than that? Let me tell you the power of a religious spirit. Jesus said this in John 16, 12. There will come a time when they will kill you thinking they are offering God service. A religious spirit is so powerful that it can do damage to people thinking it's serving God. Let me make an announcement. If you're killing people, you're not serving God. If you're hurting people, you're not serving God. I've seen people destroyed by people who thought they were serving God. Let me make an announcement. Jesus is a healer. He's a helper. He came to seek and save that which is lost, not destroy people. You say, well, it couldn't happen to me. Yes, it could. One day, James and John are standing with Jesus. He was fixing to go into a little village. They sent word out and said, we do not want Jesus in our town. James turned around and said, do you want me to call fire down on them and destroy them like Elijah did? Why did Jesus always have rednecks around him? 
Do you want me to destroy them? And Jesus turned to one of the top three apostles and said, you do not know what spirit you are of. I didn't come to kill people. I came to heal people. You can get a religious spirit on you that wants to destroy people because they don't act right before God. And Jesus said, you're unaware of the spirit that's got hold of you right now. You don't believe a religious spirit get hold of a man that follows God. In Matthew chapter 16, right after Simon made it the greatest confession of faith in world history, four verses later, he argued with Jesus and Jesus turned around to Simon and said, get thee behind me, Satan. Your mind is not on the will of God, it's on the will of men. This is why it's so dangerous. We need to be careful with it. That's the power of a religious spirit. Now here's the problem. A religious spirit is rooted in what? Here's the word that covers everything, pride. A religious spirit's always rooted in pride. Let me tell you something about your pride. It carries a tremendous price tag. And it's one you don't want to pay. Jesus said something that's a little confusing at the end. So I want to go back and look at it in John chapter nine. When Jesus said this, now, now remember, <laughs> this was a story about a blind man, but the question is which one of them was blind? Right, you got a physical blind man that can see and you got a man that can see, but he's blind spiritually. All right, in verse 39, Jesus said to them, for judgment, I've come into this world. Wait a minute, I, I thought Jesus came to save people. Why does it say judgment? Watch what he said. For judgment, I've come to this world that those who do not see may see. There was anybody can see. Anybody can see God. Anybody can know truth. Anybody can find the door to salvation. Anybody can find abundant life. But he also came to do this and that those who see may be made blind. They said, why would Jesus blind somebody? And of course, the last verse, when the minister said, so you think I'm blind? The answer's in that attitude. You think I'm blind? And Jesus said, well, if you were blind, I'd heal you. But since you think you're so smart, die in your sins. What's the point here? It's not about eyes. Jesus said this, I've come that those who can humble themselves and say, I really don't know anything. I need God's help. I'll show them the glory of God and they'll see. But those who think they got it all figured out and they know what they're doing, you can die in your blindness. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So dear ones, <clears throat> the whole thing is, it's just an issue of pride. It all boils down. If you can humble yourself and say, I need help. I'm not that smart. I can't figure it out. God will rush to you and save you. But if you say, I don't, as Ted Turner, the media mogul, when he was witnessed to by a fellow that I know, when he said, I don't need nobody to die for me. Yes, you do. And if you don't need God and you don't need his grace and you think you've got things all figured out and you think science answers everything, then you will die in your sins and live in your blindness. This is the tragedy of the power of blindness. All right, here, here's the question we find in this passage. Uh, you know, I, I laugh at this. I think it's funny that they're that dumb and blind. But you know what the problem is? Been there, done that. Personally. May go there again if I'm not careful. Here's the greatest message in this passage. What is my only protection against a spirit of religion that'll blind me? What's my only protection? You say, well, Brother Brian, you got a degree from a college. That is as useless as a screen door on a submarine. You say, well, you can quote the Bible inside and out. So could they. Well, you're a minister. What do you think they were? <laughs> None of that is a defense. You say, I've been in church 39 years. My God have mercy. You probably got three of them. <laughs> There's only one defense against a religious spirit of blindness. What is it? Humility. Humility. God draws close to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. One of the most dangerous places in a person's life is when they've been saved for a while. They've been promoted in an office. They've gone a long time without screwing up. They've really learned the Bible. That's when you're at your most dangerous point of being deceived religiously. 
But if you'll walk in the humility and, and you will stay in a childlike posture, those who are blind can see all the time. All right, let me quit with one more thing here. <clears throat> it was easy to open. Did you ever notice that we got two men blind here? Got it? You got a man who's physically blind. You got a man who's spiritually blind. Did you notice how easy it was for God to open the physical blind eyes and how that God could not open the religious blind eyes? So I've got problems. I know these, I know a lot of people like this. Only God can open religious blind eyes, but he'd love to do it. Let's look at probably the greatest one ever. Turn me to the book of Acts chapter nine. Acts chapter nine. I love this passage. I know you get tired of me saying I love this passage, but I love this book. Acts chapter nine. All right. You fix and see the power of a religious spirit right here. Now, this is one of the most powerful religious spirits. All right, there was a guy named Saul in the Bible. Let me give you a little bit of background on him. He was later named Paul, but his name was Saul at this time. And uh, his pedigree is in Philippians chapter three. And he was, uh, he, was, he was an Israelite. He was born of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, which meant that he was at the top of the preaching ladder. He excelled his other brethren. This guy was the most religious person on the planet. He was a t It'd be like saying he was born a Baptist, he was a Baptist minister, and he was number one in his Baptist ministerial class. I'm not picking on Baptists. It could be Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran. All right, Catholic, Mennonite, whatever. It could be anybody. But this guy was as religious as they get, but he was as blind as a bat. Right, let me tell you something about this guy. He had memorized the entire Bible. Because at that time, the only Bible you had... You had the, the, uh, the law, which is the five books of the Bible. You had to memorize the first five books, which are the biggest books in the Bible, just to get in the school he got in, the school of Gamaliel. In other words, this guy was eat up with religion. He blind as a bat. Watch what he's doing. Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You got a man who's devoted his life to serving God. He's memorized the Bible and he's doing what? Wanting to murder the servants of the Lord? That's a religious spirit right there. The enemy of God. Well, he went to the priest. He got letters from the synagogues to the synagogues of Damascus. If he found any who were all of the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He, he's so full of murder. Listen, that is the spirit of murder. You say, brother, man, I thought he had a religious spirit. Yeah. Who nailed Jesus to a cross? It wasn't the Buddhists. It was the people of God blinded by a religious spirit of murder. And this guy, he's, he is so mad and so full of the devil and he's a minister. And in the name of God, he's going around finding Christians and he's killing them. And he's arresting them and dragging them to prison and killing them. So I would say he's blind, wouldn't you? All right. Watch what happens. Verse four, he's traveling. Verse four, uh, verse three. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. Suddenly a light shone around him from heaven and knocked him to the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saul, why are you persecuting me? We have a problem there, don't we? He wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting God's people. Well, let's learn something here. And he hears this, all of a sudden it just boom, knocks him down. And this voice says, why are you persecuting me? You'll see something funny. And he said, who are you, Lord? I thought ministers should know who God is. <laughs> it's just, the guy can quote the Bible. He's been preaching for years. He graduated the top of his ministerial class. He doesn't know who God is. He said, who are you? He hears the voice of God. And he says, what is that? You see the power of a religious spirit to blind people. And Jesus said, the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. 
I thought Jesus was already in heaven. How can you persecute somebody in heaven? As you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. And he said, you're picking on my people. I bet you somebody knocked me down like that. I'd be apologizing for picking on whoever he thought he was or whatever it was. He said, I'm Jesus. Verse six, trembling and astonished. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's one of the smartest things you can ever say. And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless. They heard the voice, they didn't see anybody. Saul arose from the ground and when his eyes were opened, he was blind. He saw no one. Well, first he's blinded spiritually. Now he's blinded physically. And some, can you see God working in this man's life? This is wonderful. And he said, uh, he's blind. And uh, they led him by the hand because he's blind. Took him to Damascus. Three days he didn't eat and drink. All right, now here we go with our outreach program. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. The Lord said, arise, go to the street called Straight, inquire at the house of Judas for a guy named Saul. He's praying. And in a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hand on him so he may receive his sight. Physical sight or spiritual sight? Answer is yes. Ananias is a lot like me. Watch what he said. Uh, Lord, uh, verse 13, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's got, a, he's got arrest warrants from the chief priest to bind on everybody. I said, the guy just took time to remind the Lord of how difficult this task could be. This guy's throwing people in jail for loving you and you want me to go put my hands on him? It's not like he may put his hands on me. And the Lord spoke to him, watch this, said, go. He is a chosen vessel of mine. Oh, the goodness of God. Even when you're his enemy, he will choose you. He's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, the kings, the children of Israel. I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Apparently he didn't get the prosperity gospel message. Ananias went his way, entered the house, laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. Something just fell off his eyes. That was the physical part. He received his sight at once. He stood and was baptized. He received food. He was strengthened. Then Saul spent a few days with the disciples. Immediately, he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he was the son of God. All heard it said, they were amazed. Is, is this not he who destroyed those who called on the name of, in the name of Jerusalem? And has he come here for that purpose that he might bring them arrested? And why is he preaching the Jesus he came down here to arrest us for? You know what happened there? He received his physical sight and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God came on him and he saw clearly. You can't teach revelation to people. God has to open the eyes of their hearts. And when you've got a religious spirit, people have a religious spirit, don't waste your time talking to them. Pray the Spirit of God to intervene. Pray that the Spirit of God will come on them. And uh, this guy became a tremendous... As you well know, he wrote 17 books out of the Bible, became a tremendous witness for Jesus. And of course, they tried to, the same crowd he was running with tried to kill him because he was blind, but now he sees. Now he seeth, he sees. Somebody should write a song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but praise God, now I see. Let me tell you something. It's not about being smart. It's about seeing. And only God can let you see the truth that sets people free. We want to be delivered from our religious spirit. And we want to be very sensitive that we don't see the Pharisee in me. Now, let me just say this right here. If you're offended that I said that and you're offended by anything I've said tonight, 
if it bothers you that, that I would suggest that you are a Pharisee and you've got a religious spirit, guarantee that you do. Guarantee that you do. Humble yourself and say, but by the grace of God, there go I. And precious Lord, take my hand, <laughs> just like you did that man's hand, and let me see. Help me. The humility that that poor little fellow walked in so that Jesus could help him see is the same humility we all walk in. And how'd grandpa say it? It wasn't exactly a verse in the Bible, but it's something about getting too big for your britches. We might better pare it back down and say, apart from the grace of God, I am nothing. I, I mean, I have nothing apart from his grace and kindness. Now, I'm gonna throw this in as my humble opinion. Uh, I think it's important that we learn to spot religious spirits. I think we need to stay away from them. I don't think you need to yield to them. I don't see where Jesus yield to them. I'm not gonna yield to them. And I think we need to live our lives very careful about what's going on. But here, this is all for free. This is, this is free. I'm done. Matter of fact, I'm gonna step over here. This is for free. Here's my deal. Jesus is the spirit of joy and peace and life and hope. And when I see people who take themselves way too serious and they're way too serious about their religion and they want you to get serious and they're mad because you're not as serious as they are. I don't smell Jesus in the house. I smell that stinking Pharisee spirit that gets around me all the time. I was called by God. One of my gifts is to afflict religious spirits. Some pastors are called to comfort the afflicted. <laughs> I was born to afflict the comfortable. I love to dump their boat upside down. I just love Jesus. I love the way that Jesus walked into town and flipped everybody's boat upside down, threw them out of the temple and turned the crowd loose. Jesus is wonderful. Religion sucketh. I think that's what it says somewhere there. It sucketh. And when the Bible said, thou shalt not, thou shalt not become religious around me because the truth sets people free and they stay free. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. Who cannot be excited about the God of heaven? Only those who haven't seen you. Who cannot just rejoice and worship and praise your name about the kindness and the grace of God in our lives? We just rear back and we want to, Lord Jesus, we don't want to be that deep. We don't want to be sophisticated. We don't want to go into deep explanations. We want to be like the man who said, I was blind, now I see. I was lost, Jesus helped me. I was miserable, Jesus brought me joy. I was mean. Jesus caused me to love people. I was headed to hell. Jesus put me on the highway to glory. I pray our testimony be so simple and we be delivered from a religious spirit that would dump us upside down. I praise you and thank you and bless you that the God who shone from heaven has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name, deliver this house. Deliver my brothers and sisters from any religious spirit that would rob us of the goodness of God. In his precious name I pray, amen.